0: With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers?
1: Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you in an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage.
2: Would you like to learn more about 1031 Exchanges? Then go to 1031Exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 Exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours visit 1031exchange.com.
0: Hey there, it's Lars. Thanks for checking out the Lars Larson podcasting experience and have a fantastic day. Are you approaching retirement or maybe you've just changed jobs? If so, you'll probably now have control of your 401k or IRA. Would you like to buy some property, notes, loans, start a new business, or even buy crypto? You can with a self-directed IRA. For more than a decade, I've been telling you about setting up a self-directed IRA through IRA Advantage. And while you may now hear other companies say they offer self-directed IRAs, you need to find out if they're truly self-directed. With a truly self-directed retirement account, You can make any investment the law allows. Whether you're talking about true diversification, starting your new business, or investing in private holdings, IRA Advantage, through a truly self-directed IRA, can make that happen. Take it from me, Lars, you've worked hard for your money, IRA Advantage will work hard to keep it yours.
2: Would you like to learn more about truly self-directed IRAs? Then visit IRAAdvantage.com. View our videos and call IRA Advantage. That's IRAAdvantage.com.
0: Welcome back to the Lars Larson show on the day after a rather major election. And I think the bottom line is this. If you take the results that came from Oregon and Washington and other parts of the Northwest, the voters have spoken and they said, we have no problem with the way things are being run right now. It appears at this point that Oregonians have chosen to continue with the same kind of leadership the state has had for about the last six years under Kate Brown. You can call Tina Kotek. Kate Brown 2.0. In fact, our flagship station, KXL, in Portland, one of the 24 stations in our Radio Northwest network, has just announced that they've said that Kotek has taken the race. Now, there are still some votes to be counted, but most of them, about 80,000 of them, are in the most populous county, Multnomah County, which is to Portland what King County is to Seattle. Uh, they've said those 80,000 votes are going to split about 70-30 in favor of the Democrat, Tina Kotek. So it appears that Kotec has a rather wide margin of 30,000 votes and it appears that she will be the governor of Oregon unless the final vote certified about 30 days from now comes up dramatically different. In Washington state, what did voters do? The only statewide race that was going on, the most significant one I should say, not the only one, uh, would be that for U.S. Senate. And what did the voters say? They said, We don't want Tiffany Smiley, even though she offers new leadership. We want the same kind of messaging in Washington, D.C., in the United States Senate, that Patty Murray has been providing for the last 30 years. The the same Patty Murray who stood up and said, Well, uh, I know I haven't got much done in the last 30 years, but I promise if you reelect me for another six, I'll get all kinds of things done in the next six years that I didn't get done in the last 30. And the voters said yes to that. Now, count me amazed. I know based on my email and based on social media, I know there are a lot of people out there saying Lars is going to be crying in his beer today. Now, that's not exactly the way I roll. I tend to be one of those happy warriors who wakes up and says, "Okay, we continue the fight. We're not giving up. And speaking of that, I want you to keep your powder dry at this point on at least a few of last night's races. But let me get to that after I invite you. To join me, if you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it happens right here at 866 Hey Lars. And if you're a naysayer, we'll put you right to the head of the line. There were at least on social media and in emails to me today a number of naysayers saying, "See, you were wrong." Oh, I wouldn't say I was wrong. Uh, I would say that I wanted some people to win who didn't win last night. I wanted some measures to be defeated that were not defeated last night. But wrong? I don't know, in American politics, is an opinion ever wrong, or is it just an opinion? If you'd rather email, talk at LarsLarson.com, and you can vote on our Twitter poll. You'll find that at LarsLarsonShow and at LarsLarson.com. I've decided to make this one relevant to one of the measures that is hanging fire, and that is the ban on gun purchases measure 114. And if you're saying to yourself, Lars, I've watched the media coverage, they didn't say this was a ban on buying guns. Oh, yes, it is. It is a ban on buying guns. And if you say, but my local Daily Dead fish rapper described it as just having to get a permit or take a class or maybe a background check. No, it's a ban on buying guns. And it'll go into effect about 30 days after the vote is certified. So I'm figuring that's going to be about the first week of January. And at that point, you will not be able to buy a gun. You say, what, Everybody. I said, well, police officers that are off duty can't buy a gun. Citizens who already own guns can't buy a gun. I'll give you more on that in the commentary a little bit later on this hour. But again, if you want to join, it's 866-HEY-LARS. And on a day after an election like yesterday, both in the Northwest and around the country, I'm going to be more liberal today in terms of taking people's phone calls and giving you a chance to sound off. But keep your powder dry at this point a few of last night's races. Conservative Joe Kent is behind at this point in Southwest Washington's 3rd Congressional District. We might even hear from Joe today. But that was also the case, that he was behind back in the primary in August. And Joe went on to win and then ran against Marie Glusenkamp-Perez, whose actual name is Christina Perez. I don't know why she doesn't go by her real name, but there it is. She's never given us the chance to talk to her. But as I said, at this point, he's just behind her, but that was the case in August, and he went on to win. The same may happen in this election as well. And the same did apply in Oregon's governor's race, where Republican Christine Drazen was trailing Kate Brown 2.0, otherwise known as Tina Kotech, uh except that at this point, the media is calling it for Kotech. I'm going to keep my powder dry on that one, too, and wait until the final vote certification. Tiffany Smiley fought a fantastic battle against a career do-nothing in U.S. Senator Patty Murray, but lost and lost pretty decisively. Maybe Murray will fulfill that promise to do all the things in the next six years that she has not done in the last 30 years. Does that seem likely to anybody? By the way, don't hold your breath on that one. Portland did do something good. It ditched the financially troubled race-baiting Joanne Hardesty, you know, the one who spends all the time at the ALNA Casino. I think that was sensible. Uh, She was about 20,000 votes behind at the last count. She's out And I only wonder at this point, you suppose she's got a pension of some kind because she's had trouble paying her bills so much so that banks have had to go after her in court to force her to pay her bills, even though she was pulling down a salary as a city council member of over $10,000 per month. Yeah, but they're getting new leadership there. And then voters decided to fix the dysfunctional city of Portland by more than doubling the size of the city council from five members to 12. Now, does that make sense to you? If you've got an ineffective, ineffectual, can't solve a problem, couldn't pour water out of a bucket, couldn't pour water out of a boot if the instructions were on the heel, you've got that kind of city council, and the way to solve a dysfunctional five-member city council is to turn it into a 12-member city council? Will somebody please explain to me the physics on that? Oregon voters passed one of the country's strictest gun control measures. That was crazy. And then, of course, votes tallied all over the place. I'm glad to see that Republican Lori Chavez-Daremer appears to have won her race, and she will be a Republican member of Congress in Oregon's new six-member House delegation. And Democrat Andrea Salinas only holds a two-percentage-point lead over Mike Erickson. I hope that Mike Erickson finally pulls it out. And then there were the ballot measures, like the one that removes slavery, from the state constitution. Except it wasn't about slavery. It was about whether or not you can take convicted criminals and have them work behind bars without paying them the minimum wage. And by the way, Measure 111, that's the one for universal health care. I'm hoping that one goes down to defeat. I think it appears to be at this point. In any case, on the day after a major election here in the Northwest, I'm glad to get your calls. And I'll take the naysayers too. If you wanna call up and tell me you were wrong, Lars, that's fine. I'll just tell you that I have a right to an opinion. I'm going to voice the opinion, and if I turn out to be wrong, it won't be the first time, and I don't get my heart all broken about it. 866-HEY-LARS, that's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And the ban on gun purchases, this is our Twitter poll. Measure 114 appears to be passing. If it becomes law, Is it constitutional is our Twitter poll question today. Brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. Coming up in the Northwest Nonsense, I'm going to ask you whether or not you bought the lie because there was at least one lie printed right there on the ballot. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network
3: that makes a lot of sense a lot of nonsense
4: right you're bloody well right you know you got a right to
0: this is the northwest nonsense
5: how much longer do we have to sit for this nonsense
4: that great
0: moment every day where lars brings you the cold hard facts without any liberal wokeness from the daily dead fish wrapper or mainstream media bias i want to talk about whether or not you bought the lie of measure 114 now you could say lars this is just sour grapes no i'm asking you seriously did you look at the ballot measure it appears to be passing at this point Reading from the ballot. Now, I didn't get an Oregon ballot, but somebody sent me a copy of the Oregon ballot and I could have looked it up. They say the result of a yes vote, the vote requires a background check. The result of a no vote, the background check must be requested. Now, that might lead you to believe that you can buy a gun in Oregon without a background check. That's simply not true. Nobody can buy a gun from a FFL or transfer a gun without a background check. And yet, that's the way the Attorney General of Oregon, who happens to be a liberal Democrat named Ellen Rosenblum, actually wrote the ballot measure. So, is that true? That if you had voted no on Measure 114, that no background check would be required? It certainly seemed to say that, but no, that's not true. You cannot. But now that it appears to have passed, I'm going to assume that within 30 days of certification of the vote, Measure 114 will go into effect. Do your local police agencies even plan to offer the classes and permit that Measure 114 says you have to have? And if you say, well, ours, of course they will. No, of course they may not, because the measure doesn't require law enforcement to offer the class. It is, it only says the class must be certified by law enforcement. There are no funds that are provided to pay for that. There are no funds that are provided to pay for the permit system. So will the permits be offered? We don't know. At this point, the minute it goes into effect until a permit system is actually developed, which may take months, could even take a year. Nobody in Oregon, not even an off-duty cop, not even somebody with a concealed carry permit not even somebody who already owns guns will be allowed to buy a firearm now i think that's crazy but there it is and if it does go into effect even for a short time let's assume that law enforcement says we're going to come up with a permit system in say six months and classes and certification and everything else required by measure 114 that is not actually required by measure 114 say it takes six months so every gun store In Oregon will have six months with no revenue other than what they make by selling accessories and maybe ammunition since you don't have a permit have to get a permit to do that how many of those gun stores are still going to be around in six months or in a year or whatever it takes does your CHL your concealed carry license exempt you from this no does being a cop off duty exempt you no does current ownership of guns exempt you from the requirements the answer to that is no sadly Uh, From Truth Social, Andy writes in, Lars, please tell us how we can fix this in court. If 114 is able to be tied up in court, does that mean things stay the same for now? The short answer is no. And then this one from Twitter, from, as I said, I get a lot of naysayers. Lars, as long as conservatives continue to only vote for God, guns, and gays, you're going to get the same results. Conservatives need to talk about more issues, but election cycle after election cycle, they only talk about guns, God, and gays. It's an old story. Well, actually, we talk about hundreds of different public policy issues on this show, so apparently he doesn't listen very much. And now today's Daily Grill. Insane.
2: Are you completely insane?
6: Ridiculous. They get more and more ridiculous. Flat out dumb.
2: You're even dumber than I thought.
6: Who deserves today's Lars Grill of the Day?
2: Maybe they're just really really ridiculous. Stupid.
0: The way has been paved by trademark bathing. Just pave it, serving Southwest Washington. I'm going to give today's daily grill to TriMet. I've got a great tipster inside of TriMet who said, Lars, about a third of TriMet buses right now are unable to accept a cash fare. Over the weekend, the wand that releases the vaults in the fare boxes malfunctioned, burned up all the chips. None of the fare boxes work out of one of the garages. The fare boxes have been in service for about 30 years. Are people now riding the West Side buses for free? Isn't that lovely? And Justin Dale writes in with today's best email, but you can always send more to talk at larslarson.com, brought to you by the MEI Group, one of the largest heavy civil construction companies in the Northwest, currently hiring and paying top dollar for project managers, engineers, and estimators, The themeigroup.com. Justin says, Lars... I've now officially lost all hope in our elections. I don't know if the Pacific Northwest is simply filled with morons or if our election system is broken, but either way, I'm done. I can't see the reason to continue this charade of voting. I've come to realize that every election, all the polls show things going the correct way, and then come election day, and magically, all the Democrats win, and any bill that steals our rights passes, and on top of it, I guess we now have to pay prisoners to be prisoners. So, it's up to some where there's no more need to continue this farce, farce, and therefore, no need to ever vote again. Signed, Justin. Justin, I'm going to keep on fighting, but I certainly understand where you're coming from. Let's go to a naysayer just to get the day after an election started right. Justin, welcome to the program. Thanks for calling. And what do you and I disagree about? And thanks for listening in Seattle on KVI. What's on your mind?
7: Uh, thank, thank you, Lars, for having me back on your show again. Uh, I just definitely disagree with you uh, regarding voter fraud. I, th- I feel like you poisoned the well, um, spreading that misinformation. It harmed our party. It harmed Smiley's campaign. Um, it's hurt conservatives um, all across the country. Uh, I mean, look, look at the results. Look, look at what you've done. Um, you have a civic duty to tell the truth to the communities that you broadcast to. But you're free to your opinion, but you have a civic duty being on air, and all you have done is harmed us. And that's Can you I tell me was-
0: what I said that harmed the system by asking questions about whether or not elections have been counted legitimately and porting out actual examples of election fraud? what did i no, say no, that harmed the system
7: no, no problem uh, a few weeks ago you had me on and you had some crackpot on your show talking about people are creating ballots in their basement it was the most ridiculous thing i've ever heard in my life and it's something you mean you hans said, von swakowski hey, who's
0: an accepted legal expert on elections and works at the heritage if, foundation that's the crackpot you're if he, talking about
7: right if, if if he was so great he would have Found examples of voter fraud brought them to court. Justin, and I mentioned, by the way, justice, Justin, I mentioned our, during that interview
0: that Hans von Spakowski at Heritage has posted over 1,200 cases of election fraud that are either currently being prosecuted or have already been prosecuted, and people have already been found guilty. In fact, you might notice that Florida, under DeSantis, has created a special election fraud police unit that is investigating and has charged frauds right now. So are those not great. happening?
7: And, that, and, and I say and I say that's great, but that does not overturn the amount of damage that is being done. Well, U- tell me U- what I said that was talking so about damaging. Why, we're
0: bread Vodafra- Justin, Justin, that's enough to overturn an election. Okay, you've said that a few times is is just raising questions about whether, for example, Clackamas County right now announced two days before they started counting the vote that they were going to be late with counting the vote. Now, is it right to say, why are you delaying when the rest of America is able to count ballots? Why is it wrong to raise questions about that?
7: I'll give you an example. In Arizona, they're not allowed to count votes until the election polls have closed. Nor in Oregon,
0: nor in Washington. They start the count when the election polls close. They begin to count the ballots. In Arizona, they actually count the ballots as the voter votes. So you're wrong about that because they feed their votes into a machine. And yesterday, magically, 20 percent of the machines malfunctioned. So, Justin, You don't know what you're talking about, but it's the day after the election. We'll talk more about elections with our friend Aaron Mesh, up next on the Lars Larson Show.
8: Let's give a shout out to all the election workers who will be working overtime to count every vote.
0: Oh, yeah, that's Tina Kotek, who the media has now declared as the winner. And perhaps the numbers seem to indicate that at this point. So why not talk to one of them? Uh, Aaron Mesh is the news editor at at Week. You can find the stories at wweek.com. Aaron, welcome back to the show, and what should we make of yesterday's election, at least in the state of Oregon, which is where you cover things, and particularly in the city of Portland, what do you make of it all?
9: Well, the thing that most interests me, which probably doesn't interest your listeners quite as much because it's not statewide, I'm fascinated by the fact that we have a new form of government in Portland City Council, and I'm not sure anyone, if pressed with a gun to their head, could actually explain how it works.
0: Well, I I, I had a couple of opinions I gave on that. I said, if you've got a dysfunctional five member city council, how does it get better when you turn it from five to 12 members and add in their staffs and all the politics that goes with it? Uh, You know, if you can't make decisions with five and get things done, are you more likely to get things done with 12 people? Doesn't seem likely to me, does it to you?
9: Uh, I am reserving judgment on whether it's going to work or not. But I can tell you this. It's going to be entertaining as heck. Yeah, and,
0: and expensive because, I, you know what, Aaron? I think I may have been one of the only people. Maybe you know of another example, but I... I said, if you've got five city commissioners right now and they all need office space in a rather constrained city hall and you say, now we're going to have 12 members of the city council. And I assume that doesn't mean the five positions you have right now are going to have smaller staffs. So now you're going to have 12 people and their staffs. So that probably means they'll say, well, now we have to have new city office space. And every one of those commissioners is going to have to have, I don't know, four, five, six people, whatever their usual staff size is, times 12, times whatever that cost. Add in uh, computers and technology and cell phones and cars and all the rest could run to quite a bill. Did you ever see anybody add up what the estimated cost of this uh, 150 percent expansion of the city council is going to cost?
9: If memory serves, essentially, the, the, the city budget analysis of this was that they didn't know. That was, uh, that's my recollection, although someone what? may correct me and actually say there's a, there's a number that's been put on it. I don't remember seeing a number, and I recall a document that said something to the effect of we really have no idea. Yep. Oh, hold on.
0: Now, Aaron, if you were running an organization, say you were running the paper you work at, uh, say you took Mark Zussman's job, uh, I could hope for that someday, um, but... If somebody said, how much is it going to cost? I'd say, well, what's the current budget of the five-member council? Divide by five. That's your cost per commissioner. Now multiply by 12. It's a story problem that a six-year-old could figure out, isn't it?
9: Well, not if you haven't decided what the salary is going to be for each of these commissioners, and they haven't.
0: Well, assume that it's the same right now. What is it? Uh, You know, uh, the the soon to be departed uh, uh, Joanne Hardesty makes one hundred and twenty thousand a year. Whatever her staff budget is, I'm guessing probably in the neighborhood of a million dollars and then whatever computers and phones and all the rest of that Rasmus has. If I had to estimate from a distance, I'd say say two million a year per commissioner times five is ten million dollars times 12 is $25 million. I mean, you could have come up with that on the back of a cocktail napkin. And I'll bet Joanne Hardesty could tell you where to find a cocktail napkin, don't you think?
9: So the question that I have about the <laughs> number, I'm just going to, yeah. well, I've gotten, I've gotten good at it. Uh, <laughs> one of the questions that I still have about this is whether or not each commissioner's office is going to maintain the same size and budget, right? So, like, there are now 12 of them. They clearly have less power. They may be told they're going to have to, like, budget for less staff. I think one of the reasons why you saw so many current commissioners looking askance at this, probably three reasons, but one of those reasons was they know that it's a diminishment of their own power. The mayor right. knows it's a diminishment of his power. It's going to be a city, uh, an unelected city administrator who handles day-to-day operations of the city. And I'll be honest with you, I, that's probably the one part of this that I'm most excited about is seeing less of Ted Wheeler.
0: Well, and that would be a good thing, too, although... Didn't Ted already hire Sam Adams to actually do his job for him, and now they're going to hire a city administrator to do the job of running the city? So what does that leave the rest of these guys and gals to do? Just run around doing politics all day long? Because it sounds like that's what they're going to do. And if right now people yes, are concerned, yeah, I mean, like, like to,
9: to be to be extremely clear, yes, so that that isn't that is in fact what's going to happen is that these twelve commissioners and the mayor are. I think you can look forward to a lot of uh, posturing. Uh, political statements, grand uh, scheme. <laughs> don't I try don't to forget virtue signaling. Is, the yeah, VS yeah, is very yeah,
0: important. Yeah, yeah. Come on, Aaron, the VS is very important. you got to get the virtue signaling in.
9: Uh, if I had any virtue, I would signal it. Well, and, and here's the other is, piece. Yes. That, that joke didn't land at all, but I tried. Uh, the, the, the point is that there's going to be just a lot of "Quote unquote policy making, which often means experimenting, while someone who is not elected handles the day to day operations of the city. Um, and I, I think like what, what, I, what I suspect that voters will be most surprised by is the degree to which it's going to be difficult to get rid of any incumbent city commissioner they don't like." the ranked choice voting aspect of this plan is essentially an incumbent protection system. Yep. So Joanne Hardesty has lost re-election today, but she's going to be able to run for office again in two oh my years. God. She'll have oh name my recognition. <laughs> and when she does, it will be almost impossible to to vote her out because as long as she finishes second or third, she gets to keep her job.
0: So, And that's assuming she doesn't get put in debtor's prison or whatever they call it these days. I, You know, it, it, in a lot of ways, Aaron, Think about this, Uh, the system that Great Britain has, where they have a parliament and a prime minister actually run things, and then they have the queen uh, that just sits, or the king in this case, uh, the king who sits back and goes to ceremonial and stuff and all that. That's what we've got. We're going to have 12 queens running the city,
9: right? Uh, (laughs) I think that's that's actually pretty apt.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, because after all, they're going to be political figureheads. And the problem, as I understand it, and and i can appreciate it from a distance i've i lived in portland for decades but when you say so something's wrong in my neighborhood who's responsible they'll say well these 12 people set policy but then somebody else actually implements the policy you're going to have even less accountability under this system than you do under the current one. At least now, if you say I got a problem with the fire bureau, you can go to the fire commissioner, parks bureau, parks commissioner. You know, uh, mayor is the police commissioner by by charter. So at least you can go to somebody and say this is on Ted or this is on Joanne. But under this system, nobody's actually responsible except this hired hand, uh, the city manager, who who I guess serves at the pleasure of 12 different uh, queens, in this case, because they're just political figureheads, and they get to run around and send out press releases and hold press conferences and show up on TV and talk big, lofty thoughts, while the actual drudge work of running a city, and a lot of it is drudge work, gets done by somebody else, and nobody's actually responsible except one bureaucrat.
9: So, you know, we endorsed against this measure, and I voted against this measure, and I felt sad about voting against this measure because I was voting against my own interests. As a journalist, this is candy. (laughs) This is God coming down from heaven, touching me on the nose and saying, please enjoy the next six years of your life with an endless supply of popcorn and jujubees.
0: Well, if I'd been able to vote against Tina Kotek, I would have. Although, Aaron, for me, for, for this talk show host, people like Tina Kotek and Bruce Harrell up in Seattle and a bunch of the other knuckleheads like Kate Brown and Jay Inslee, they are God's gift to talk radio. But they are absolutely terrible for the people who have to live in those states. The stories can be found at wweek.com. Aaron Mesh is the news editor at Willamette Week. Coming up. Did Jay Inslee help push up alcohol deaths during the pandemic? And I'll get to your phone calls and emails. It's the day after election 2022, and you're listening to the Radio Northwest Network. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show on the day after the big election that actually, I think one of the dirtiest tricks... Uh, that has been done in this case is Joe Biden has now been led to believe that everybody loves the way the country is going, even though the public opinion polls say about 75 to 80 percent, depends on the poll, uh, of the people in America think that the country is going entirely the wrong direction. But have it given the results, even with the change in power, where it appears Republicans will control the House, might even end up with a majority in the Senate, but there are still three Senate races that are hanging fire right now. Uh, that with all that, Joe can say, see, people don't mind my leadership at all. Why, gas was $5 a gallon when I came into office, as he said, within the last couple of weeks. And now I've got it all the way down to the high $3 range. That means Joe may just say, well, then I'm going to run for reelection. I think that is one of the Democrat Party's worst nightmares, that they're going to have to deal with Joe. Either let him run for reelection. He's already senile. Can you imagine what he's going to be like in two years or in four years in the middle of a second term? Their alternative is to find some way, some politically convenient way to shuffle Joe off to Buffalo or back to Delaware, whichever comes first, of Beach. Uh, and I don't think they can figure out how to do that. How do we get rid of this guy? Well, I don't know. That's their problem, not mine. But I'll bet Joe is reading this. He's taking a victory lap today. In fact, he's supposed to be speaking at some point this afternoon. But welcome to the show. It's the Radio Northwest Network. We serve the Pacific Northwest through 24 great radio stations in Oregon, Washington, and Idaho. And We talk mostly about the issues of this region. So on our Twitter poll today, the, bi- the ban on gun purchases that voters appear to have passed, Measure 114, I know most of the media didn't tell you that it was an outright ban on buying guns for everyone until and unless they come up with a procedure to allow a permit to have class and all the rest of that and none of that is required by measure 114 it just says you have to have the permit to buy a gun doesn't say the police have to offer it doesn't say they have to offer the class that's required either so is that constitutional i would say no you can vote any way you like it's brought to you by ultimate truck services if you rely on trucks for business ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right find them at ultimate truck now we got a split decision and then i'll get to call We got a split decision on yesterday's Twitter poll. I asked a question that I thought was sensible because I'd seen a poll that said that a plurality of people in Washington state do not like the idea of banning gasoline powered cars, which Jay Inslee wants to do by 2035. And I said, if you're going to do this, should Northwest states put any ban on gasoline and diesel cars on the ballot for a public vote? I said, yes, they should put it on the ballot for a public vote. 42% of you, a minority, said yes. 58% said no. Now, figure that one out. Anyway, uh, let's get to your calls. If you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Let's go to Amanda, listening on the Radio Northwest Network, and Ben. Hey, Amanda, thanks for listening on KBND. What's on your mind today?
3: Well, um... With the governor election being so tight right now, uh, this is really frustrating. My husband and I turned our ballots in weeks ago, and I just happened to check uh, late last night to see if they were received on the state's website. Uh, we turned ours in at the same time, the same place. Mine was received and his was not. Um, and that brought me to check with some friends also that had voted for uh, Drazen and I'm finding a number of theirs uh, that they had turned in weeks ago were not received either.
0: And that doesn't make any sense, does it? Because you vote in Deschutes County, if I'm correct, which means Deschutes okay. County is, is not the most populous county. It's not the least either in the state. But you would think that Deschutes County, especially with ballots that were received weeks ago, that means they prepared them for counting but weren't allowed to start counting them till the polls closed last night at eight. But at that point, they're just running ballots through a machine. But when they received your ballot and they scanned the the envelope through to make sure your signature match, I I think any signature, any scratch on a piece of paper, it sounds like will go through the signature match. But your ballot should have been shown as received. I'm wondering what happens in a week or two if they say, oh, yeah, we did finally get it and why it isn't showing up now. Amanda, I wish I could give you a more solid answer than that. Let's go to uh, let's go to life. Hey, Leif, Welcome to the Lars Larson Show, and thanks for listening. What's on your
6: mind?
4: Hey, um, I got two issues, really. Thank you for having me. I listen to you all the time. Um, Thank you. I'm a flagger. I'm a flagger. I work in Oregon as a flagger, and I just want to get out there that people driving through road 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 works and work zones need to pay attention to pay attention to signs because I almost got hit yesterday. Pulling. Oh my God! You know oh and. God. People, That's people a good just need to pay more attention and, and stay off their phones.
0: And you could hurt you. you could hurt or kill somebody. And and uh, I, I feel for the people who stand out in all kinds of weather, uh, hot or cold or rain or whatever. Uh, so good for you. What was the other issue you wanted to bring up?
4: The other issue is the one fourteen. Uh, my significant other had a domestic violence over twenty years ago. How is yeah. that going to affect her? And I tried to go to that OregonGunLaw.com, dot com, but it said the site can't be reached.
0: Hmm. I'm not sure why that's the case because that's a that's a law firm that advertises on the show, and they'll try to straighten things out. But with Measure One Fourteen, you don't have to worry about it. You won't be able to buy a gun. And and when right. you said you're... she
4: already she already has one, but okay, what is that going what is that going to do? Is she going to be able to keep it or what? Well,
0: what, it does it hold more than ten rounds?
4: No, it's just a small, the protection gun for her.
0: Oh, but it holds more than t- okay. If it doesn't hold more than ten rounds, she can still own it. She just can't take it anywhere. You got the Lars Larson show. Lars here with a question for you. Why is it that some people aren't as stressed out about the future as you'd think they would be? The answer? They're probably among the millions of Americans who prepared themselves with emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. If the worst ever happens, literally millions of American families are already protected from dealing with those empty store shelves. Is yours? Mine is. If not, go to MyPatriotSupply.com right now and grab some emergency food kits, at least one for every member of your family. These kits give you a wide variety of delicious meals that average over 2,000 calories per day. That's That's what you need. Everything stays fresh for up to 25 years in storage. Order your kits right now by going to MyPatriotSupply.com. Your order ships fast and arrives discreetly in unmarked boxes. Listen, this is something you need to jump on now before the next news headline stuns the world. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com. That's mypatriotsupply.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get your phone calls and your emails. Let me do that in just a moment. I know there are a lot of people who want to sound off, but if you want to jump into the best conversation and talk journalism, 866-Hey Lars, that's 866-439-5277. Naysayers always go to the head of the line of this show, have for 25 years, always will. If you'd rather email, it's talk at LarsLarson.com. And of course you can answer our twitter poll you'll find the daily question and it's updated and we write a new one every day from the news of the day just to keep it fresh you can find it at Lawrence larson show and at larslarson.com. and welcome to the radio northwest network proudly serving the pacific northwest states for almost 23 years now and we're glad to do that we talked a couple of weeks ago about a shortage of diesel fuel, and it had a lot of people spooked because uh, we said, well, back in September, uh, they, we were down to about 34 days supply of diesel. Now, it's a rolling supply. Obviously, diesel goes into trucks and all kinds of other things, and the refineries replenish it. 34 days supply in September, 25 days in October. I thought now that we're in November, we should check in, check in with Mark Fitz, who is owner and operator of Star Oil Company because he's the guy who gave us the straight skinny on where we stand today. So, Mark, welcome back to the program. And where do we stand on diesel fuel? And is the shortfall getting any better than it was last month?
10: Well, it's looking the same as it did two weeks ago or a week ago. The U.S. is making as much diesel and gasoline as they can make. And the tanks are staying about the same amount full as they were. And the Northeast is in worse shape than we are on the west coast the only change in the last week this last weekend we had some rough weather Uh, yeah i got an email in the north yeah
0: i I got an email from a gentleman and i think uh where was he he was in pennsylvania and he was rolling down the road and he snapped a picture and the sign it was one of those electronic reader boards uh, saying this exit no diesel and it wasn't one of those ones where there's just no services they were saying the station apparently a big truck stop at that exit it was out of diesel. And I'm hearing from people all over who say, Yeah, I went to a station and they were out of diesel. Um, are, is this gonna get better or worse? And is there anything that, that would change the game other than depressing usage?
10: Well, the, I, I think it's gonna get better, and I think what's really going on right now is if you had a hundred million gallons of storage, right? Are you gonna are you thinking diesel's going up in price or down in price? If you think it's going down in price, you're moving everything you got. You're getting rid of it. And that's the reason we're not building inventories, right? As fast they make it is as fast as they're going to sell it. When we start seeing inventories come in, we'll see prices drop. So my expectation is it's, you know, it's inconvenient right now, but we'll get caught up and prices will fall.
0: But what you say when we start to see inventories come up, but what's going to cause that? I mean, is there any sign that use of diesel, and obviously it's not just consumers with pickup trucks that run on diesel or, or cars that run on diesel, it's long haul trucks. And as as near as I can tell, we're still in a supply chain problem. So I assume the trucks are running as many miles, delivering as much stuff as they can. I guess if construction goes down, that depends on diesel. But trains, uh, the use of diesel in trains and other modes of transportation, that doesn't seem to be going down or up. It's about steady state. So, so where does that put us in, say, two weeks or three weeks? Uh, are we still going to be floating along at about 25 days' supply?
10: Well, there, there's demand destruction taking place that catches, you know, high prices people are buying less across the board. Right. So, and trucking appears to be slowing down from everything I've read or seen. We should see inventories come up. The catch is it's all leaving the country right now because Europe needs it desperately and the Northeast is short. They could start taking twice as much as they're taking to build up inventories in the Northeast for a while. So, it just takes a while to right itself. But the fact okay. that people aren't holding products means they think the price is not going to be going much higher.
0: Okay. so they're, So, they're holding on to it for now. But, we're at 25 well, they're days. They're,
10: they're getting rid of it as fast they're, as they oh, can. Oh, they're getting rid of it because the they EIA see the price advance. Okay, yeah.
0: dump it at the high price because when the demand actually comes down, then price will come down and you'll be selling it for less. But it, but but there will be less
1: demand,
10: right? Yeah. If people thought prices were going to continue to rise, they'd be holding it because they'd get more in a week. They're not holding it. We've seen two weeks with this news, and it appears they're moving it as fast as they can. That means the market is sell it while you can
0: and is there now what how does does heating oil figure in this at all? And I ask that because yes. essentially the product is very, very similar. It's not identical to over the road diesel, but it's so close you almost couldn't tell other than the red dye in it or not in it. Uh, so does that have a factor? Because as we get into winter and everybody's stocked up for whatever they think is going to take them through March or April of next year, do those refineries start saying, well, stop making heating oil because you won't need it in June uh, and start turning it into fuel?
10: Yeah. Heating oil is diesel. So the the only difference between heating oil and diesel is there's less requirements and regulation on the specification of the product when you put in a heating oil system versus a new truck. But it is basically, for all intents and purposes, everything we touch, when we deliver heating oil, it's the same diesel that we'd put in an over-the-road truck other than the dye. Uh, and in the Northeast, the same way, they've got sulfur requirements, so it is diesel, and he all well figures into it. Because if we have a blizzard or an Arctic vortex or something like that, that means you're going to need a lot of it, and we're not exactly in good shape in the Northeast. The Northeast is at risk. We on the West Coast are not for that type of event. Any sign,
0: any sign, any yeah. sign mark that they're going to change the uh, what the Jones Act. So that we can actually move diesel to the northeast and supply that demand by by loading it on a barge in Galveston or wherever on the Gulf Coast and letting it go into uh, Connecticut or some other place in the upper northeast, or or is there any sign they're gonna they're gonna waive the the Jones Act for a while?
10: I haven't read anything on that now. Like back a few months ago, when it first started, where product was tight, there was talk of that. I haven't seen anything about that. But Not they even could a l-
0: mention of it. They could alleviate all of that if Biden were simply to say we're going to waive the Jones Act for 60 days and let T- and let the oil move where it needs to go.
11: Yeah,
10: but they're not well, going to the, do it. the biggest catch. The biggest catch is having that much more product to move. Well, you know, from what I glad... read, you've got Canada shipping to Europe, which typically would go to the northeast where they're tight. All right. You've so... got a better trading partner at a higher price in Europe.
0: I mean, I'm glad to hear that we haven't actually degraded our position. I'm disappointed that we haven't improved our position. But your, your crystal ball says, what, a couple of weeks from now or Thanksgiving, uh, we're, we're going to be about the same spot we're in right now?
10: I, I'd say we're going to be looking at what we're looking at right now for weeks, and then all of a sudden you'll start seeing inventories build up and then prices will come down. And it'll happen when you least expect it kind of thing. If you're a betting person, now's the time to place a pool bet, right? <laughs> Typically, I don't bet with my own money. I just try to move the product. <laughs> you you, you met, bet bet
0: with Dad's money. See, I used to always talk about oil issues with Mike Fitz, who's running Star Oil. Oh, he, so
10: is my he huh? is less ag- he is less aggressive than I am. You know, <laughs> we try to hold that for a few days at the most.
0: Okay, so let me ask so, you one last question, Mark. Is Star Oil Company running at a higher profit margin under Mark Fitz than it did under Mike Fitz, or a lower profit margin?
10: Well, our costs are twice as much, but I tend to do different business. We deliver high, like we're high service. So I charge more than he does, but we're doing stuff that he didn't do. We're doing a lot more high service work.
0: Well, good. I'm glad you get some bragging points. You take, you take over the company and you run it better. That's how it ought to be in every family owned business. Hey, Mark, thanks very much. I appreciate the time.
10: Thank you for your time, Lars. You betcha. That's
0: Mark Fitz, the owner and operator of Star Oil Company talking about the diesel situation. You wanted an update on it. There's the update for you coming up. We got to talk about some of those national races and three of them that are still hanging fire right now, including one in Georgia involving Herschel Walker and Mr. Warnock. You're listening to the Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network.
6: To See that project, that progress in our everyday lives. And it's hard to see the results from actions that we took a while we, we have to implement what we've done. But I believe we took the right steps for the country and for the American people. In fact, if you look at the polls, overwhelming majority, I don't look at them much anymore because I'm not quite sure how to read them anymore. Uh, <laughs> no I kidding. hope you He's are uncertain right as well. Um, but uh, overwhelming majority of the American people support the elements of my economic agenda. From rebuilding Americans' roads and bridges, to lowering prescription drug costs, to historic investment in tack- tackling the climate crisis, to making uh, sure that large corporations begin to pay their fair share in taxes. Let's hold
0: this on for just I'm a second, but this is Joe Biden speaking alive. Yeah, He's taking right questions path, we need to stick with after them. the election yesterday and taking a little bit of a victory lap uh, because the big they red do, wave that a lot of us expected to happen didn't happen as much as we expected, not at all. So here's Joe Biden saying, see, the country supports what I'm doing. They love my economic plan. I'm surprised he doesn't say they love the fact that I brought oil prices or gas prices down from $5 to $3.80 a gallon. But this is what he's doing. He's using your votes yesterday to say that Americans are happy with what's going on. Glad to have you with me. If you want to join the conversation, it's 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And just a couple of my observations about yesterday's election in total. Inflation. Well, inflation should have been the biggest issue around. You remember when Bill Clinton's uh, team, when he was running for president, said, It's the economy, stupid. And the economy is in terrible shape right now. We've got tech companies laying off tens of thousands. In fact, Meta, uh, what we used to know as Facebook, just laid off 11,000 people. They had to lay off so many people, they actually did it by email. Now, imagine getting an email from your boss saying, Sorry, you don't have a job anymore. Here's your severance. Goodbye. Uh, that, but, for some reason, Republicans were not able to capitalize on the inflation problems largely created by Joe Biden and his administration. And the red to blue suburbs, they stayed blue after Donald Trump, even though a lot of suburban women who were described as cockroaches by the likes of the women on The View or one of the women on The View, uh, they, they didn't go conservative. And that surprises me, too. That means that families who have mom and dad out working their tails off and pouring all their money into gas and groceries, decided to vote for more of the same? That's a little hard to imagine. And the backlash against Joe Biden's crazy policies just didn't show up. And it turns out that a lot of people who were leaving the polling places and were in exit polls, they actually said that abortion was a real issue for them, even though after the decision by the Supreme Court in June, Nothing really changed. There were states that had laws on the books already that banned abortion. And once the Supreme Court said this is up to the states, the states get to make that decision. But get this, the NBC News exit poll, it showed 61% of people leaving the polls said they were dissatisfied or even angry about the Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade, while only 37% said they were enthusiastic or satisfied. It sounds like the death cult in America seems to be growing and not shrinking. And it also showed, one of the other exit polls showed, that gun control, I I figure gun control is getting all your shots within the center ring on the target. But Democrats, for Democrats, gun control is all about banning you from exercising your Second Amendment rights. 56% of 2022 voters support stronger gun control measures, stronger than we've got already, background checks to beat the band and all the rest of that limitations on what you can own where you can own it where you can carry it only 40 percent of those in the nbc exit poll said they opposed more gun control i i don't understand it but there it is uh i'm not going to be one of those people who says well i i don't think people think that way when you do the exit polls yes you can probably shape them one direction or another to get the results you want but that's a bit disturbing that 61% said they're upset over abortion, but about the same percentage say they're in favor of taking away more of Americans' Second Amendment rights. That makes sense to you. Call me up and be a naysayer. 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Let's go to Greg. Hey, Greg, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your... mind? Hey, Greg. Lars. Yes, sir. What's What's up?
5: I've been concerned for a while about I've been concerned for a while about uh, voter education. And you know, when I look at these, um uh, the squad, for example, they're not really Democrats. They are Marxists. I mean, let's let's face it, let's call a, a spade a spade here. But I I look at the party uh, party voter guide, you know, that that we have here. I'm in Sun River, Oregon, so Deschutes County. And there's actually on the ballot a uh, a measure to eliminate the partisan, uh, the party that the person who's running actually is a member of. So they yep. want nonpartisan races for mayor, nonpartisan races for county commissioner, and I don't think that serves anyone because you have no idea how that person is going to vote, if or on any issue, if you don't know. Generally speaking, that they're conservative or they're, uh, you know, Democrat or Marxist. We had we had two members uh, running for county commission against our current county commissioners, Tony DeBell and Patty Adair, that were absolute Marxists. We know this, but yet they they show up on the on the voter pamphlet as a Democrat. And I'm wondering, should we start a new party called the Marxist Party? <laughs> so I clearly identify who these people are?
0: Well, you, you know, what? I'm with you, Greg, because I've had people say, well, why don't we take the party labels off? I said party labels are like the label on anything else. You know, you say, well, I, I want some food. You walk into a restaurant. I want some food. What kind of food do you want? I want all vegetarian. I want all meat. Uh, I want breakfast. I want lunch. I want dinner. We use any of those labels to indicate what we're talking about. If you say, hey, you should vote for Joe for mayor, uh, and you say, what kind of jo- guy is Joe? Well, Joe's kind of a communist, he, or he's a socialist. You know, He's on his way to communism. All that label does is help you identify, as you said, as you very well said, it, where is this guy or gal coming from? What do they believe in? Do they believe in limited government, small government, low taxes, maximum liberty for citizens? Or do they believe in maximizing the state and minimizing the liberties of citizens? I think those labels are helpful. And anybody who suggests stripping the labels off, look at the rest of our life. You know, every can in or box in the supermarket is labeled. Why? Many of those labels are mandated by the government. Why? Because the government says you have to know what's inside that box. Well, you have to know what's inside that can. and And you say, and we're going to require that you label it. And yet with politicians, as you said, there are lots and lots of efforts to try to strip away all the labels and say, You have to vote for this person based on what? What their picture looks like in the voters pamphlet, what their name sounds like. You have to vote for them based on what? If you keep the voters in the dark, that only benefits one party, and that is politicians and government. I guess that's two parties. I'm starting to count like Joe Biden counts lately. Anyway, thanks for the call, Greg. 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. You can vote in our Twitter poll at LarsLarsonShow. And you're listening to The Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your calls. I'll get back to calls here in just a moment, but there's something I've been kind of interested in. I've always been a fan of technology, but I find myself just not exactly enamored with the ideas that are coming out of Facebook um, and meta platforms, the metaverse, as uh, I guess Mark Zuckerberg likes to call it. They rolled it out with much fanfare. And now we have found out this week they're going to lay off about 13% of their entire workforce. Their stock price has gone down 71% this year. They're cutting 11,000 jobs. In fact, they cut so many people that apparently a lot of the people were cut with a notice by email which I think most of us found, well, that might not be the best way to let somebody go. Get an email saying, hey, by the way, you're fired. Uh, you've got two weeks severance. See you later. Uh, but 11,000 people are going out the door at Meta. And I thought we'd talk about that with Jessica Malugian, who is with the Competitive Enterprise Institute. See if Jessica has a better handle on on what, what, what does all this mean? Is it bad technology or is it a woke company going broke? Jessica, welcome back.
12: Hi, it's great to be here.
0: So tell me this: what what do you re- what should we read into this? That a company that's been fabulously successful in a lot of ways also been a bit manipulative, not just Mark Zuckerberg's individual actions, but the actions of Facebook itself. Um, and then they have this giant idea that they roll out, and now they're cutting 13% of the workforce, keeping a hiring f- uh, freeze in place, and their stock has dropped 71% this year. What does all that mean, Jessica?
12: Well, I mean, I think the big takeaway is that, you know, they're not beyond uh, what can happen to any company, right? They're probably not the big, huge, uncatchable uh, monopoly that some in the government want want us to believe they are. Um, they're obviously a very big company, and they, have like you said, they have been very successful in some ways. Um, but, you know, in the last couple of years, they've spent about $36 billion investing in this virtual reality metaverse. And, um you know, that's a long term thing. And then when you put those sort of big investments with longer term payouts, maybe um, in the middle of a tightening economy, they're not immune from these these same problems. So um, they had disappointing earnings results. And that's sort of what Zuckerberg is explaining has led to this. That's 11,000 people that were laid off today. That's 13% of their workforce. Um, And and I will say, though, in their defense, um, those people have been told they're going to get 16 weeks of base pay, plus two weeks for every year they've worked at the company. Um, so, And they get health care for them and their families for six months. So I think he's trying to do this in the nicest way possible. But, again, this is just a reflection of, A, the, the, the larger economy, the macro situation is not good in this country right now. Um, and, and because of some of their R&D decisions that, um, you know, haven't paid off yet and and for all we know might never pay off right i don't know that the metaverse um is any more appealing to anyone than it is to you
0: (laughs) (laughs) well jessica though you you say the economy is not in good shape haven't you been listening to president biden he says the economy is going (laughs) great and the voters just gave him a hearty endorsement he just said this within the last hour he said apparently the american people like the joe biden economy right now is that possibly not true
12: Um, Yeah, I'm speaking now just as a, not as a policy professional, but as someone who owns a diesel truck, I can tell you that filling it assures me that we're not in, in the place we should be economically. How about that?
0: I'd have a few extra of those yellow cans in your garage or your shed if, if if you want to be prepared, because we're down to 25 days supply. And maybe we'll stay at 25 all the way to Christmas, or maybe not. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that somebody writes about technology and policy actually drives a diesel truck. They're great, but... jessica i mean where where do they go from here and 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 do you get any read on what facebook plans to do next because or meta whatever you want to call them uh is keep changing names uh but but uh, i i look i i like technology but i looked at meta and the metaverse and thought i'm not exactly sure what this does for me that isn't already done by the the uh, technology we've already got in our hands which is pretty extensive
12: yeah, I mean, I, listen, like I said, I don't think you're the only one that's a skeptic of um, this plan. But I do think that Facebook realizes, you know, that company's growing globally. But in the U.S., their usership is down. Um, they've probably already peaked in the U.S. in a lot of ways. And I think that Zuckerberg felt like he needs to get ahead of the next thing and not rest on his laurels here. And and that's always a gamble, right? He doesn't really know the future uh, any. Any better than the regulators inside of Washington, D.C. would like to tell us they know the future. But at least um, Mark Zuckerberg is playing with private money. And if he's wrong, um, taxpayers aren't on the hook, which is more than I can say for a lot of um, things happening here at our nation's capital. Um, I think that they're just trying to make their company lean and mean. And, you know, he said in the statement he released that. He takes responsibility because he really grew that company in terms of hiring and spending during COVID when everyone was online all the time and everything was going like gangbusters for the platform. Um, he thought that that growth would be sustained, and it hasn't been. So I think they're trimming the sails here, and I don't think that he's backing off the virtual reality plan. You know, they, they're they so invested in it now. Um, but I think they are trying to batten down the hatches a little bit because, um, the hiring freeze being extended, now these job cuts, um, their revenues are down, you know, their cap, their market cap now, they fall below a lot of the uh, floors for the antitrust legislation. So in Congress, there's all these new regulations being proposed, and you have to be you know, so big, $550 billion. But now, you know, I checked today, earlier today, and Med is at $271 billion. So they don't even... Register now in terms of um, the guys that would be covered under this new regulation. And, you know, that's just happened pretty quickly. I mean, you know, they used to be in the top five. So, um, you know, we're in an uncertain economy and and apparently Meta is subject to all that uncertainty, too.
0: So they used to be part of the Fang, uh, Facebook, Apple, Netflix, yeah. and now now is just the Ang. There's no Fang. Yeah, There's no F in Ang.
12: I guess it's the <laughs> Ang. We need to add two more to get something we can use there. But um, yeah, you know, Alphabet's still up there at one uh, over a trillion, but not Facebook, not Meta. Um, there, it's it's been rough seas for them lately. Um, so you know they have. They have 2.8-ish billion users worldwide. Um, but again, in the U.S., they just haven't seen the revenue and they haven't seen the uh, user base growing. So I think they're, they're trying to head off some bigger problems.
0: Now, Jessica, for my non-tech audience, explain to them who Alphabet is.
12: Al- I'm sorry. Alphabet is the parent company of Google, YouTube, um, many of the apps you use on your phone probably. Um, and and they seem to weather all this a little better um, but uh, And, of course, you know, all these social media platforms are under a great deal of um, government threat, too, right? Everyone has, from the left and the right, a different idea of how they want to regulate those problems away. Um, but they're, they're having to spend on defending themselves in Washington and out in the marketplace, too. You know, TikTok, hugely successful, um, you know that that's that's that thing's going like crazy uh for better or worse there's national security concerns there but in terms of users um tiktok's just leaving facebook in the desk so i mean um, jessica i think I, the, this I, is a reflection of that
0: Jessica, I want to deregulate them. I want to get rid of Section 230 altogether. <laughs> I want to just wipe it off the books. Now, we could call it deregulation, but God bless you for being at the Competitive Enterprise Institute because Jessica <laughs> Malugian uh, actually comes up with a silver lining to the bad news that your company is now worth only a quarter of a trillion dollars and ha- instead of half a trillion dollars. And you say, but the yeah. SEC isn't breathing down your neck anymore. Yeah, that is the way to find the silver lining, Jessica. And that's why we appreciate well, having you on the show.
12: My pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: You take care now. That's Jessica Malugin from the Competitive Enterprise Institute. If you want to jump into the best conversation in talk journalism, I'll get to calls here in just a moment at 866-Hey Lars. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Vote in our Twitter poll. You'll find it at Lars Larson Show. And if you care to, tell Alexa to play the Lars Larson Show.
3: We will never, ever
5: surrender to the woke mob. Florida is where woke goes to die.
0: That is Governor Ron DeSantis, who handily run, well, handily won re-election last night. Glad to take your phone calls and your emails. It's a pleasure to be with you and glad to take those calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Vote in our Twitter poll at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. This segment of the show is brought to you by NickShivers.com for an instant offer to sell your home immediately. No showing, no hassles, and you pick the closing date. NickShivers.com for details. And thanks for listening on the Radio Northwest Network. Uh, it is a pleasure to serve the Pacific Northwest states of Oregon, Washington, and Idaho. Let's go to Levi. Hey, Levi, thanks for listening on the network and in Coos Bay. Uh, what's on your mind?
13: So, uh, hey, Lars, um, I'm at FFL down here, and this 114 kind of really screwed me up. Yeah, it did. Um, You know, the one thing they don't talk about is I'm also an SOT, so I sell suppressors. Oregon is one of the only states that makes you do another background check after the Form 4 gets approved. How is that going to affect people that are in queue they have been waiting a whole year? Now this law gets passed. How are they going to get their cans if they don't have that permit?
0: I don't think they're going to, and, and I'm assuming that because what, what you're talking about, cans are suppressors. Well, a lot of people call silencers, but yeah. they're they're not really silencers. Yeah. <laughs> the term Levi use FFL is federal firearms license dealer, uh, and then SOT uh, you you uh, you you handle other products as well. I'm assuming that because all those cans, those those silencers or suppressors, whichever you like to call it, they have a federal registration number on them, don't they? Yes. And I'm assuming that anything with a a, you know serial number, a federal serial number on it, is going to is going to fall under Measure 114, which at this point looks likely to pass. Um, It's still ahead by just a small amount, but they're expecting the final votes to be in favor, which means we have an effective ban on anybody buying them. And I got to tell you, Levi, I think this is going to be a tough one. I had one out-of-state dealer say, "Well." I'll be able to sell into Oregon, except I've had other dealers uh, uh, like Dan uh, at uh, Sporting Systems who told me, no, all FFL dealers have to respect the laws of another state. So if somebody comes to you in Coos Bay and says, I'm from Northern California, I'd like to buy a gun and you just transfer it to me, you're going to have to tell him that you have to obey the laws of Oregon. Uh, but if somebody yep. say goes to California and says, I'd like to buy a gun in California, and then get it in Oregon, they're going to be told that dealer has to respect the the laws of the state of Oregon. The feds have apparently told FFL dealers, if you're selling to somebody out of state, you have to take account of, of their state laws. And, and this thing is so far reaching. And Levi, I'm so angry at most of the rest of the mainstream media. I mean, I think I've been one of the few, maybe Bill Meyer and maybe Bill London and, and others have told it differently. But I'm one of the few that said this is a de facto ban. And they said, what do you mean it's a ban? Nobody can buy a gun. You go, what about off-duty? What about cops outside of their duties? Nope, can't have it. How about former law enforcement? Nope, can't have it. I've got a a CHL or a CCW, a concealed carry permit. Nope, that doesn't get you anywhere. You have to take a class. Where do I get the class? That has to be certified by law enforcement. They have to work that out. Well, when is that going to happen? It may never happen. It's not funded. It's not mandated. The law doesn't say law enforcement has to certify somebody. It says they can. And it says they can offer the class or they can certify somebody in the private sector to offer it. Well, are they going to do that? I don't know. Uh, I I don't know whether they will or not. And then there's a permit you have to get. Is there anything that says law enforcement has to offer the permit? It implies it, but it doesn't actually tell them. And it's not funded. So... Do you think I'm right in suspecting that law enforcement is either going to say we're either not going to do it or we're going to do it when we get around to it, which could be a year or two from now. In the meantime, who can you sell to legally, Levi?
13: No one. I am not even the thing was I was just thinking I'm driving over to Roseburg right now and I was thinking, listen, I, as an FFL, am I even allowed to own, like, can I order firearms from my shop, even if I don't even sell them? I mean, as a, Dealer, I don't even know if I can get fired I think they may, the say, they may say they may
0: say you've got to take the class. You say where's the class? It doesn't exist. Uh, and and when you take the class, you have to get a permit. Where's the permit? Have you have you talked yeah. to the county sheriff in your county and said, are you going to offer a class? So just, are you going to cr- create a permit?
13: Well, we just elected a new one today um, or yesterday, I guess. My question, though, you know, with our concealed carry, I'm a vet, so I just use my shooting you know when i got qualified in the military to get my chl why can't right. the sheriffs just look at that and say that was an authorized class to get a chl why can't we everyone's got a chl well now gets I, this permit how,
6: i I, I
0: because i don't know some of them may do that some of them may say hey uh can you tell me which end the bullet comes out of uh and you say yeah it comes right out there so okay you're good i mean yeah. there may be sheriffs who say that's my test you know how to do it treat every gun like it's loaded uh and uh And and that may be good enough. But until that process is there, because they require you to get a permit, does a permit process exist? No. Does this mandate that the sheriff or the police department create one? No. Does it fund them doing the work? No. Are the police departments around America or here in the Northwest, are they long on resources right now? They got extra money and extra officers and extra time? No. So are they going to get right on that? I suspect no, and I think about January the 8th, you're going to be out of business. I hate to tell you that, but I've been shouting it from the, you know, as loud as I can for the last, you know, few months saying this is a de facto ban. And it's exactly what the left wanted. They wanted a ban on buying guns. They got it. It'll probably be struck down by the courts, but guess what? That is likely to take years. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network.
2: Oregon Utility Notification Center wants to remind you that whether you're planting a tree, building a fence, or just making improvements around your farm or home, click or call before you start your work to get the area marked. Then dig safely and avoid contact with buried utilities. You owe it to yourself and your loved ones. Know what's below. Call before you dig. For more information, visit us online at digsafelyoregon.com welcome back to the lars larson show
0: it's a pleasure to be with you although yesterday's election results were not exactly a pleasure but we get up dust ourselves off and just go on with the fight welcome to the program and welcome to the program that attempts at least on a daily basis to serve the pacific northwest states of oregon washington and idaho with honestly provocative talk and if you want to join the conversation that's easy 866-HEY-LARS, that's 866-439-5277, send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com, and vote in our Twitter poll today's question uh, in terms of Oregon, we'll get to Washington and school choice here in a moment, the ban on gun purchase, Measure 114, appears to have passed in Oregon, Is it constitutional? You can answer that question at Lars Larson Show. And it's brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. Now, Lee Fennett joins me now from the Washington Policy Center, where she heads up the Center for Education Leave, uh, we've got the election and people have heard a lot about the results. We're getting lots of comments on the, 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 uh, of, of the aftermath of all this. And I think this we're going to be unraveling for the next few weeks. But I want to ask you about a, a, an issue that's, that's front and center and has been for some time. And that is why are the Northwest states running so far behind the rest of the United States when it comes to affording some kind of school choice to parents and ultimately to the students in those schools?
8: Well, I, I think that's a great question, especially in the aftermath of this election. Uh, of course, the answer is political because it is only in states that are open to giving parents control over a portion of their education dollars in states uh, that are led by uh, lawmakers who are do not fear the powerful teachers union, who do not fear the powerful education bureaucracies in the various powerful education interests that block school choice. Only in those states is is school choice progressing. So Arizona is a great example because they just passed a law that would allow every family to be eligible to receive an education savings account worth $7,000 to use to hire tutors to buy educational materials, to even pay private school tuition, even at a private religious school. And that is now uh, the most exciting program across the entire nation, and that's been that was made possible by the leadership of that state, the lawmakers and the governor there, and so it's it's all political. Unfortunately, education is all about politics, and if you've got the the uh, the vested interests that are that are very well funded within public education and control of a state's politics, then you will not see school choice. It's just that simple.
0: And so I'm guessing you you would put the chances of Washington State, uh, I don't know that you look at Oregon that much, but you'd put the chance of Washington State going to any kind of school choice at pretty close to zero in the current political environment, right?
8: Well, yes and no, because it's so interesting. If you watch these policies over time, uh, lawmakers always lag public opinion, and public opinion is strongly in favor of school choice there was a poll recently that showed that 70% 72% of the electorate democrats and republicans and independents alike support giving families direct access to public dollars so they can educate their child in the school that is the best fit for that child because the the well-being and welfare of the education of our children you know is is uh, very paramount and close to the hearts of our society and so as that notion penetrates the minds of these lawmakers, uh, they will be forced, even in blue-leaning states, to start responding to the demands of the electorate. And the electorate is hearing about school choice. And, uh, and, and just the notion, just just imagine you have a child who is not doing well at the local assigned public school, uh, whether that's a special needs child or it's just an average child or, or even a gifted child, because the, the, the program is so homogeneous and uniform that most children do not fit into it well. And so there's there are many families who are not satisfied with the sort of humdrum one-size-fits-all program offered by the traditional public school. And if they start to imagine what it would what they could do with $7,000 here in Washington it would be more like uh, $11,000 that we could give families wow. with no problem. Yeah, $11,000. You know, that's that's almost that's more than the tuition for a uh, religious private school, elementary school. Okay. I think the average tuition at a Catholic school is around $8,000 in an elementary school and more like $14,000 at a high school. But if you were to give $11,000 to families, think of the choices that would open up uh, to families for educating their children. And I mean, you know those NAEP scores came out recently, Lars, and they showed that National, the Catholic schools. Uh, are was out.
0: It National Assessment of Educational Progress is what NAEP is, right?
8: That's right, and that's what considered the nation's report card, and that showed that if you just take Catholic schools and they were considered a state, all right, and compared the performance of Catholic schools on the NAEP uh, to the performance of all the other. States in the nation, they would rank number one. Okay, number one. Okay, so reading and writing and history and the content of education is being delivered much more effectively in these private schools because they are not hampered by the union restrictions and all that goes with the traditional schools. You know.
0: Let let me ask you this, And, and I know that as the director of the Center for Education of the Washington Policy Center. You guys can't get in involved, or you can get involved, but you can't go out and sponsor a ballot measure. But are you suggesting that if the Washington state population, and I would extend this to Oregon and Idaho as well, if they're this of the same mind or even close to what the national numbers say about uh, parents desiring school choice, that if you were to put a ballot measure on saying, should parents who seek to have their kids educated outside of the conventional government schools be allowed to take a percentage, like Arizona does, of the public money and use it as a vote. If you put that on the ballot, it'd pass, wouldn't it?
8: Yes, it would. I think it would pass for sure.
0: So who's gonna who's gonna bell the cat, as my mom used to say? Who's gonna go out <laughs> and get the no? Who's gonna go out and get this
8: thing done? I heard that there was a ballot measure being uh, in the works in the state of Oregon. I don't know where it's where where, where it is in the process. That uh, well, uh, there is an actual one in Oregon.
0: That, I mean, because. You know, and use GoFundMe, because whether people know it or not, even if you say, well, we're going to do it all with volunteers. I've been told by people who run these initiative petitions, if you used all volunteers, the cost is still around a million dollars. You've got organization, you got to track the signatures, you got to do a whole bunch of things. Uh, I mean, California failed in a recall of a DA because they didn't track the signatures and they turned in a bunch of signatures that were either duplicates or non-registered or whatever. But if you were to do it, in the three states, Oregon, Washington, Idaho, and maybe do it all in the same election in, in a year or two and say, let's put this to a vote. Let's let parents and taxpayers decide, do they want to give parents some choice that we could actually do that, get it in front of the voters, get it passed. And I know it'd be taken to the courts, but make sure it's absolutely bulletproof and get it done. That is Lee Finna, who's the director of the Center for Education at Washington Policy. Lee, it's a pleasure to have you on the program. Back in just a moment. I know you're waiting to talk. We're going to get to your phone calls. And how about Professor Alan Dershowitz, who's, well, we got to talk to him about a lawsuit that just got dropped. And it's about an issue that's been very much in the public eye. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars. Larson. and Joel get back to your phone calls and emails in just a moment in the next segment but I want to talk to Professor Alan Dershowitz who's a civil liberties lawyer and expert professor of law you know he's an emeritus at Harvard Law School and the book he's written one of the books he's written most recently is Guilt by Accusation the Challenge of Proving Innocence in the Age of Hashtag Me Too. Professor it's good to have you back on. Well, thank you
14: so much. And yesterday, of course, I showed that although it was hard to prove in a sense, it was not impossible because the woman who accused me then admitted, admitted that she uh, may very well have misidentified me and confused
9: me with somebody else.
0: And professor, I wanted to bring that up. This is the lawsuit or the the accusations made by Virginia Giffrey. And I feel for Ms. Jeffrey because I think she was a victim, just not a victim of you. But proving a negative, proving you didn't do something, that's gotta be one of the toughest things that any attorney, and, and let me ask you this, Professor. Let me skip right to this. Are, are you able now to talk about this case? Because this case, you know, the Epstein case with Jeffrey and, uh, you know, Ms. Maxwell and everything else, this thing has been one of the most troubling for a lot of us because we see, uh, it sounds like solid accusations that, uh, that a man now dead, uh, whether by his own hand or by, uh, or by uh, somebody else's hand, uh, that's, that's another matter. Uh, cause I don't think Jeffrey Epstein killed himself, but this guy did evil things. He had a woman help him do those evil yep. things. And yet nobody gets prosecuted except maxwell and i think she deserved to be prosecuted but how is it we've got to the point before we talk about your innocence how do we get to the point where you have a major high profile guy who's friends with very uh, wealthy people and very powerful politi- politically powerful people like bill clinton and uh, and nobody except maxwell gets prosecuted
14: well certainly it's possible that nobody knew about this i knew jeffrey epstein before any of these allegations came forward I was introduced to him by the Lady Rothschild and told by Harvard professors to to make sure that I treated him well because he was contributing $30 million to Harvard. He used to conduct seminars at Harvard with Nobel Prize winners. Nobody had any idea that he had a a, a secret private life. And, you know, once that came out, I terminated my personal relationship with him completely. Others did not. Um, uh, President Clinton continued to uh have relationships with with him um uh, went on his plane presumably for charitable purposes uh other people as well um but you know it's certainly possible that a woman like gufreid could be a, a victim as well as a victimizer And what I hope is going to happen, there are a lot of sealed materials. There are a lot of secrets, a lot of depositions, a lot of videotapes. They all remain sealed. I want every one of them out. I waive all of my privacy rights. Why why could I fight back when no one else was willing to fight back? Because I've done absolutely nothing wrong. I've never flirted with another woman. I've never touched another woman during the relevant time period. So I have nothing to hide. And I want everything out there. I would hope the media makes demands. Let us see these videotapes. Let us see these uh, depositions. Then we can get to the whole truth. And the whole truth is what I want to get out. And I was hoping to have a trial, but, you know, she basically made an admission and a confession, uh, which was an offer I couldn't refuse, obviously. And so uh, I think now my name has been cleared completely. Uh, But there are other people, and I think the public has the right to know whether other prominent or important people were involved. So let's open up everything to the public. No secrets, nothing hidden, nothing suppressed.
0: Now, Professor, I've confessed to you before. I'm not an attorney, so forgive my ignorance on this. But during the trial of Maxwell, they had one of the young ladies, and her name escapes me, but she was testifying. And she said, yes, Ms. Maxwell told me that I was just perfect for Jeffrey and his friends and it occurs to a lot of us who are not even lawyers you say well then the next logical question is who were these friends of course and of did course. any of them actually have sex with you or abuse you and you you've got a witness in the dock under oath who could tell you that and the how is it a question like that doesn't get asked well it should have been
14: asked and everybody should be asked under oath uh, every one of the women Uh, who they had sex with, but they have to be prosecuted for perjury if they lie. And, uh, you know, uh, the the government never called um, Virginia Gouffre as one of the witnesses in the Maxwell case. That's a fact, uh, even though she was the primary accuser uh, in the case. And, you know, you have to ask yourself, did the government not believe her? Uh, So, you know, the government has to make a decision uh, because it can't put on false witnesses or it can't put on truthful witnesses and ask them questions, which would then make them into false witnesses. So uh, I was hoping for a trial. I wanted this all to come out. I wanted nothing to to remain secret because I have absolutely nothing to hide. Uh, One of the reasons I was able to fight this, unlike other people, is I have nothing to hide. I'm not Bill Clinton. I'm not (laughs) Prince Andrew. I'm not people who have things in their background. I've never had an inappropriate sexual relationship in my life, so I could fight back. And I did fight back. And she then finally made the admission that uh, was publicized yesterday, namely that she may have mistaken me for somebody else, that this was a case of mistaken identification from the very beginning.
0: I'm talking to Professor Alan Dershowitz. He, uh, his latest book is called Guilt by Accusation, The Challenge of Proving Innocence in the Age of Hashtag Me Too. Professor, because I got you here, I know you've got a commitment coming up. We'll let you go on time. But I, I smelled a rat. And here's the rat I smelled. I don't think much of Jim Comey. I think he deliberately set up uh, General Flynn. I think he was he, he should have been pushed out of the FBI. And I don't know if you and I agree on that or not. Should I smell a rat? when the co-lead counsel in the Ghislaine Maxwell prosecution is Jim Comey's daughter?
14: I don't blame, I don't ever blame daughters for the sins of their fathers or fathers for the sins of their children. So no, I don't, I don't smell her at uh, She has a good reputation. Um, her father, um, I think somewhat less so uh, recently. I, I've met him, I've known him, but uh, some of the things he did uh, in the lead up to the, 2016 election and other things, you know, raise serious questions about his judgment. But I've never heard anything that would uh, in any way affect the judgment of of his daughter. She is highly regarded as an and, effective and prosecutor,
0: but look, you're entitled to be suspicious, obviously. I, I'm just suspicious because it just makes me wonder why that question never got asked, but congratulations on the book. Congratulations on finally getting to prove a negative. Uh, and that is that yeah. you aren't guilty of anything, professor. I'll let you go. Cause I know, I know you've got another commitment and I really appreciate your time. Well, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it very much. You bet. His book is called Guilt by Accusation, The Challenge of Proving Innocence in the Age of Hashtag Me Too. He is Professor Alan Dershowitz, civil liberties attorney and expert, professor of law and emeritus at Harvard Law School, New York Times bestselling author. I want you to think about this as well, because I've covered on this show accusations where children have accused their teachers and then later we found out they were doing it out of some kind of animus they were they were angry at their teacher in one case i can think of two little girls who accused their teacher of sexual crimes against them and then had to admit we were just mad at him about a grade or something that happened in class but i want you to think about this for a moment imagine how hard it is if you're accused of doing something how do you prove you didn't do something how do you ever prove a negative? Thankfully, I haven't been in that position. As the professor said, neither has he. And now he's freed of those accusations that were made by Virginia Giffrey or, or Giffrey, uh however you pronounce her name. In any case, he is free from that. His book is called Guilt by Accusation. Your your calls are welcome at 866-HEY-LARS, emails to talk at LarsLarson.com and you can always tell Alexa to play The Lars Larson Show. And you're listening to the Radio Northwest Network.
11: I knew they would steal it I could just feel it Cheap by mail should repeal it But they Election night, you knew it ain't right. Every poll said we'd win it, win the house and the senate. Fraud was not factored in it, or ballot harvesting. They let them steal away.
0: Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. That's our parody guy, Jim Gossett, with a few thoughts on the election 2022. Your phone calls and emails are welcome. Has Google been shifting votes on a massive scale? Well, it turns out that there's some good evidence of that. And I say that even though we just had an election yesterday. And uh, you say, well, do you have evidence of that? Well, we've been continuing to get evidence on the 2020 election for the last couple of years. But what they've shown is that Google has some powerful tools to affect an election. And what they showed is that Google can literally, by shifting voting preferences of undecided voters by up to 80% in some demographic groups, because when you go and search for information, if somebody like Google could control the information you see and the information you do not see, it can have that effect. And, and you can understand how it would. We, all of us, only know... The things we actually see with our own eyeballs and hear with our own ears, if you've got eyes to see and ears to hear, uh, or you know what you get through social media, or you get it from your friends, you know, direct conversations. Other than that, what you know, for the most part, comes to you through some kind of media. Could be television, could be radio, it could be the internet. And if somebody can deliberately steer the information, especially when you're searching for information, what they've found is that when you aggregate the search results on Google and Bing, messages displayed on Google's home page, autoplay videos suggested by YouTube, tweets sent to users by the Twitter company. In other words, you don't always just see tweets sent by other users. Sometimes Twitter itself can send you information. Email suppression on Gmail. There's one effort by a guy named Robert Epstein. And what they've done is they've looked at millions of different experiences that people have had and the kind of information they get and the kind of information they do not get, that it could shift votes from one candidate to another. Glad to take your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Let's go first to Ron. Hey, Ron, welcome to the program. What's on your mind?
3: Well, here we go again. The Democrats once again control the press, they control the internet, they control the courts. They seem to be controlling everything like usual. Uh, I, I really, I let me ask you a question, Lars. Sure. There, the United States of America was a casino, uh, <laughs> and you walked into the house. How much money would you? How many chips would you throw down? Would you throw down all your chips on the table uh, at this casino? Nope. So nope. why are we tolerating this in this country? Um, uh, the, I'm sorry, I didn't come to the United States through my family and, and stay here to uh make the Democrat Party richer, to make communism richer and to keep this perpetuating. I came here and stayed here with my family because we were promised this through my heritage. I was not promised what we're getting. And I'd be go to heck, here we go again. And Lars uh and see, if this is just, you know, this is what we get for 30 years of Republicans getting along with the Democrat Party.
0: Yep. Uh, and
3: I don't ever t- t- want to hear reaching over the aisle again unless you're. Uh,
0: I, I don't. I don't either, Ron. Up. And I'll tell you one of the phenomena. My wife and I, for the last several years, have called it the Una Party. And the Una Party works this way. And you wouldn't expect it to because no matter what you do for a living, you probably have competitors in what you do. And you're prob- you probably treat them honorably. If a customer says, well, does, does this company do it better than you do? You're going to say, no, no, we're the best at what we do. You're a competitor. On the other hand, you don't go out and try and, and torpedo them and do things like that. The Democrats are very good at lining up all their soldiers in a row, whether it's on Congress, on Capitol Hill, or whether it's in state legislatures. And they get them all to go the same direction. The Republicans apparently don't have much backbone to say, listen, this is what we believe in and there are things we will not compromise on. So what happens is the Democrat Party and the Republican Party share power and they understand that for a while uh, one party will control Congress. And then for a while, the other party want for a while, one party will have a president in office like a George Bush. And then we'll have a Bill Clinton and then we'll have a Barack Obama and then we'll, we'll go back and forth. But the sharing of power is very lucrative for the people who are in government-elected positions. It's both lucrative while they're there. You can tell from Nancy Pelosi and a lot of the insider trading that I think she and her husband have done. And she always comes up with a clever way of saying, well, I don't trade the stocks. My husband trades the stocks. Well, that would be like me saying, I don't take the insider tips. Tina takes them, which is why I stay away from that stuff altogether. But. You know, if you let the Uniparty control things, and I'm going to warn you about something in the next two years, Ron. Watch for the Uniparty because right now the establishment Republican Party wants to get rid of Donald Trump as much as they you know, they, they want him out of the picture. And why? Because if they can kind of share power and, and then the media gets involved. So, for example, uh, a number of years ago, John McCain, who's now gone, uh, I honor him for his military service as a senator. Considerably less so. Uh, I didn't. I don't. I. I didn't like Senator McCain. Uh, I. I. I will give him every honor he's to be due for his military service. But after he came back to the United States, I think he's he was nothing but a snake, and he continued to be a snake his entire career. And he was one of those go along get along types. You remember when they had to wait for him to fly back to Washington D.C. to cast the deciding vote on doing something about Obamacare. And what did he do? He went back and he basically threw Americans under the bus in the in name of cooperation and getting along with the other side. John Roberts on the Supreme Court has done the same kind of thing. He could have said Obamacare is unconstitutional. Instead, he effectively stepped out of his lane as Chief Justice of the Supreme Court and said what the Congress meant to write in the law was this. And so you had the Supreme Court rewriting a law. Number one, they don't have the authority to do that, but they did it anyway. And you say, who's going to stop us? And you got Joe Biden, who clearly got nothing out of yesterday's election. Do you know he just held a press conference today in which a reporter said, are you going to do anything differently because 75 percent? It's 75 to 80 percent of the American public in the polls say they're unhappy with the direction the country is going. And do you know what Joe Biden said just a couple of hours ago about that? He said he was asked, are you going to do anything differently, given the fact that 75 percent of the American people think we're going the wrong direction? And he said, no, he said, no, I'm not going to do anything differently because they're just finding out what we are doing. Well, I think we are finding out what they're doing. and, And that's the sad thing joe biden seems to think that nothing is going wrong in america he's led himself to believe this he says inflation is no big deal ask any average family is inflation and our grocery prices driving you into the poor house gasoline prices sapping every extra dime you've got and yet you've got a president whose the message he got from yesterday's vote was we're not going to do anything differently he also said And I'm not going to sign off on anything the Republicans want to do that's going to raise inflation. Boy, talk about projection and pot calling the kettle black. Joe Biden has jacked inflation out of sight. And then he says, I'm not going to go along with the Republicans raising inflation. This is the craziness we're stuck in. Your calls are welcome at 866-439-5277. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. And this segment of the show on the Radio Northwest Network is brought to you by Valhalla Tea, a perfect gift for the holidays, helping veterans with every bag sold at ValhallaTea.com. That's ValhallaTea.com. Let's go to Cameron. Cameron, thanks for listening on the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind on this day after an historic election yesterday?
4: Hey, hey there, I, I had a question about 114, so a few months back I bought myself an Armor Light, uh 15 style rifle, and uh, now I'm kind of in a purgatory, I paid in full for the, the rifle, but my background check is on delay, so now if 114 is enforced, is that rifle considered sold to me already, or am I going to be stuck in some limbo, am I going to lose the rifle? Do you have any insight on that?
0: Well, I, I got two insights. Does the magazine with the rifle hold more than ten rounds? Uh, more than likely. Okay. Well, I, I, I didn't know as you knew right away. This measure, Measure One Fourteen, uh, it's a de facto gun ban. Uh, it appears to be winning by a, a very narrow margin right now. We'll see when all the votes are counted. But at this point, it appears to be winning. So 30 days after the votes are certified, which I, bl- and I believe that's the process, 30 days to certify the vote. So about the first week of December and then 30 days after that, the law goes into effect. If you don't have possession of that rifle yet, then I guess it comes down to what you and the gun store agree on, because the gun store may say, well, you're trying to take, let's say you finally get the clearance on the 15th of January. So it's safely into the new law being in effect. Can they actually hand you that gun? They may not be able to. Right. They may say, well, you may have bought it and you may have bought it before 14 was voted on, but now you have to go take the class. Because if they hand it to you and, and, and again, it sounds like a lawyer question, uh, to, it, that, that's sure. going to have to be wrangled up by the lawyer because the lawyer might say, well, you, you closed the sale before measure 114 was voted on somebody else could argue well uh you didn't actually take possession of the rifle so the purchase wasn't completed and again that's one cameron i wish i were enough of a lawyer well no i don't i don't wish i was a lawyer but uh, i wish i could give you a definitive answer but i have a feeling the gun store out of an abundance of caution might just say now we're not handing over that gun go take the class and when you say but they're not offering a class and you say, well, they will at some point in the future, maybe, and and then get a permit, which isn't available either. And I, I can almost guarantee there won't be permits available in early January or, or maybe not February, maybe not May, June, July or August. Who knows? Because the law says you have to take the class, but it doesn't say law enforcement has to offer it. And it says you have to get a permit. But it also doesn't fund any of that, nor does it tell law enforcement you must issue a permit. So they're going to have to come up with some kind of procedure. And who knows if they'll do that. Let's go to uh, Tom. Hey, Tom, thanks for calling in from Washington. Uh, What's on your mind today?
3: Yeah, I think there was only
14: one issue that we could have lost on, and we played right into the Democratic uh, hands. We should have never brought up the abortion issue
7: to after the elections. Well, that cost us the
0: election. But hold on, Tom. The issue was raised by the U.S. Supreme Court hearing arguments in a case. Then that was decided to hear those arguments. I believe they actually agreed to hear the case back uh, last year in 2021. So how would we, when you say we, uh, I guess you're including the Supreme Court. How would we have decided, well, tell the Supreme Court to put that one on ice for the next two years?
7: Well, I don't. I didn't know anything about that. But if we could have held off, I think we could have won the election.
0: Yeah. Well, you you may be right about that, but I don't think it was within our options. Let's go to uh, let's go to Rob. Hey, Rob, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on the, What's on your
6: mind?
7: Hey, Lars, uh, calling for Measure One Fourteen again. Um, my big concern is the fact that there's thousands of people in Oregon and Washington that carry concealed in Oregon with guns that have greater than ten rounds
0: including the guy you're talking to.
7: Absolutely. You and I are in the same boat. I live in Washougal, cross the bridge every day. So now am I supposed to go out and buy myself a new gun so that I can still conceal carry in downtown Portland?
0: I'm lucky enough that I've got a gun that holds more than 10, and I've got some, a couple that hold less than 10, and that, that's a nice place to be. So I can choose to say, well, I'll comply with the law by carrying one that carries, that holds less than 10. But do you know what this measure says you have to do to transport that gun if you decide to go into Oregon? You have to take your gun and, uh, take the magazine out, unload all the bullets, lock the magazine in a lockable box, and then take the gun and lock it unloaded and lock it in a different lockable box. And then you may transport it through the kingdom or the dictatorship of Oregon. Otherwise, And, and carrying it concealed, uh, if you do, you're, you're running the risk of getting arrested for a crime and maybe ending up getting convicted.
7: Absolutely atrocious. I mean, obviously, I think that eventually this will get overturned, but it's going to be fallacious for everyone involved that actually does comply with the law. I agree. For the next two years. Well, and imagine
0: this, Rob, you say, I'm going to go buy a new gun. Well, you live in Washington, so you're in a better, better situation. So do I. But in Oregon, after Measure 114 goes into effect, for at least some period of time, nobody is going to be allowed to buy a gun, including off-duty cops. The police department can still buy guns, But, you know, that most most departments tell their officers, we'd like you to carry a gun at all times, even off duty. And now when a new officer comes on board and he says, where am I supposed to buy a gun? They're going to tell him, well, until we come up with a permit and a class and a process, you're not allowed to buy a gun. And you're going to have some police officers saying, I've come to a state to work in a state where an off duty cop can't buy a gun. Yep, that's right. That's what the voters decided. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers?
1: Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you're in an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all the capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage.
2: Would you like to learn more about 1031 Exchanges? Then go to 1031Exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 Exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours visit 1031exchange.com.